I had, knew only two athletes with disabilities, you know, in, in the whole country. So I decided to meet the athlete, one of the athletes that I didn't know who lived in Adelaide. I won't mention his name, but he's a downhill skier. I met him at the Hilton Hotel for breakfast. I went to shake his right hand. He didn't have one. I went to shake his left hand. He didn't have one. So I just thought, very embarrassed. We sat down. Um, he, we had breakfast. He ordered breakfast. He cut up his bacon and eggs with his feet. He drank his coffee with his feet. He was a two-time Paralympic champion. He was an accountant, a husband, and a father. And I said, wow, if you can do that, I can do this job. People all around the world love sport. From playing ball in the backyard through to the Olympic and Paralympic podiums, the majority of the world's population play, watch, and enjoy sport. Steve Dart from Play Hard Sports gives listeners the chance to meet people from across the world of entertainment, sports and business who are affecting the way international sport is unfolding. So with the combination of technology, passion and great people wanting to tell their story, it gives rise to Play Hard Sports Behind the Games podcast. Tree today, I've got Brendan Flynn, Director of Sports Supercenter, Runaway Bay Sport and Leadership Excellence Centre. Good afternoon, Brendan. How are you? I'm great, Steve. Looking forward to having a chat with you. Thank you so much. Maybe just take me into a little bit about the Sports Supercenter, just the overall view of what you do here and what the Sports Centre is all about. Look, the Sports Centre is um, owned at the moment by the Department of Education and Training. So we're obviously an educational, you know, a community and obviously a sports centre. You know, we've been very lucky in the last um, year to have some fantastic facilities that just finished. Um, you know, we've got about 50 staff, both from education, from administration, from the gymnasiums that we run, and uh, and we op- operate seven days a week, you know, uh, probably 5.30 in the morning to 9 at night, and we're really excited about the next two years coming up to the Commonwealth Games and including the Commonwealth Games. Wow, thank you so much. Let's go back the early years for you. You were born in Adelaide and worked most of your life based in Southern Australia. Tell me about that. Yeah, born and bred South Australian of um, Irish descent and very proud of that. Um, You know, obviously uh, growing up, loved my sport. It was interesting because mum and dad never played sports. I loved my sport and so I was lucky enough to play uh, junior state level with Aussie Rules football, you know, with athletics and then the sport of basketball. Wonderful. What about your early academic years? Were you a a good student? God, had to work really hard. Tell me about that. Oh, look, I think um, it was really quite interesting when I was young because all I wanted to do was play sport, you know, and, and to probably at an early age to commit myself to working in sport. And so sport was everything to me. And so it was very hard to maintain the levels that I needed to. But in the end, I, uh, my last year of school, I was school captain, you know, very pri- privileged to be school captain. And, uh, and then moved out into the big bad world after that. All right, let's go there again. Whereabouts did you go to after that? 
Uh, after that, uh, look, I was a cost accountant by trade and, you know, worked in Adelaide, had some uh, interesting jobs in an organisation called Cow Steel uh, to promote the sporting travel that I needed to do. I had to work some extra work. So uh, believe it or not, I used to work at security for World Series cricket wow. back in the heyday of Kerry Packer days of when World Series cricket started, uh, not at Adelaide Oval, but at Footy Park. And yep. that was, uh, so I would work at my job from eight till five in the morning. And then four nights a week, work from six till midnight or midnight to six, securing the cricket pitches so wow. nobody would uh, would damage them. So it was fun. Yeah. Tell us a little about that World Series cricket era. Oh, look, it was really quite exciting as a kid, you know, to see, you know, the uh, the Ian Chappells, you know, the Dennis Lillies of yep. this world. Great time. You know, to start this funny game played in colours under lights. And, uh, you know, and obviously it, uh, it started a trend in cricket and it's funny how the world goes because what are they doing now? They're playing at nights, they're playing in colour, yep. you know, they're playing on international TV all around the world. You represented South Australia and Australian basketball at a junior level and when you were 15 made an elite AFL squad. Do you recall the conversation you had with your dad at that time? <laughs> yeah, dad was a wily old character and look, I was really concerned because I couldn't do everything at that stage and... Uh, and I said to Dad one night, I said, please help me. You know, I said, you know, I, what do I do? Yep. And, you know, he said, son, uh, at that stage, AFL is played in Victoria and Western Australia. Yep. He said, okay, so you can go to Western Australia, you can go to Victoria. He said, son, athletics, you know, um, how far do you think you're going to go as a shot putter unless you put on about another 50 kilos? Yep. And he said, son, where's basketball played? And I said, all around the world, Dad. Yep. He said... What's your answer? I said, thank you. Yep. So basketball became my passion and my love. Fantastic. How did you go with your basketball? Where did you get to? Oh, look, I played, you know, nationally at junior level. Uh, I had a very, while I was playing basketball, I had a very serious uh, hand injury, which really uh, prevented my shooting expertise. So at a very young age of 18, I started coaching. And so I was involved with a great club in, in South Australia called Glenelg, which now is called Norlunga. And I began a passion for, for coaching. You know, I was very lucky in my early years in South Australia to have some great mentors. You know, there was a, a former assistant Olympic men's coach called Alan Dore. There's a famous Australian, you know, basketballer, Ken Cole. You know, both were obviously Olympians as well. Mm -hmm. And so they took me under their wing and, and I progressed through coaching at state junior ranks to, you know, state senior ranks. Uh, lucky enough to win a couple of national club championships at a young age. And then uh, along came the Australian Institute of Sport. Wow. Let's just go back to 1984. You became the youngest ever Olympic basketball coach at the age of 31, taking Australian's women's team to the Los Angeles Olympics, where they placed a credible fifth place. That would have been amazing for you. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, a, it was very difficult. You know, obviously, you know, to get there was a difficult process. You know, we ended up going to Cuba, you know, going to Brazil, uh, one of the most difficult things, Steve, was that I was probably younger than half the, my players. Yeah, right. You know, and I and had a great referee, you know, a great referee called Eddie Crouch, who uh, toured with me a lot. And he's one of Australia's greatest ever referees. And, and he had a lot to do with assisting me through that process, you know. And look, it was fun. It was really good fun at, at that stage. It was a, a learning curve. I was lucky enough that some of the girls in the team were married to AFL footballers of that era. Yep. And so I got to know and, and meet people like Kevin Sheedy, you know, um, and the great Tom Hafey. Yeah, and Tom Hafey came out to a couple of sessions earlier on. Yep. And so the experience w was fantastic, not, not just even as a coach, but as a person. Yep. Mixing with that kind of um, personality, 
uh, what was that like for you, like meeting Tom Hafe and these guys? Was it uh, starstruck or actually same level? Oh, look, starstruck. Okay. You know, you know, obviously starstruck because you know their global overview of an athlete is not just as an athlete. And mm. I think that was one of the greatest learning experiences for me, that you actually have to look at that athlete as a person first. Yeah. And I think, you know, I do that now in my employment. And I think that was a crucial part of my development as a young coach. Yeah, wonderful. You also uh, managed in the AIS, the elite cycling team. Yes. How was that? You've done a bit. <laughs> yeah, look, after I lost all my hair coaching you know, at, uh, at the top level, yeah. I decided that uh, it was probably time to stop travelling around the world. And I applied for a position. The Australian Institute of Sport, you know, had opened obviously in 1981, you know, and uh, I was the first head women's basketball coach there. But after that, I I wanted to finish my career if possible or continue my career in, in sports, you know, in sports administration, sports management. And so I applied for the job. The, the AIS decided to decentralise, yep. decentralise to Queensland, decentralise to Western Australia and decentralise to South Australia. So I was lucky to head back home, you know, to become the manager of the South Australian unit, which was, which was a tough task. Why? Oh, you know, well, I was given six months. We didn't have a facility. Uh, we didn't have coaches, you know, we didn't have accommodation. And so I was given six months to do all those things. And, uh, you know, basically it was a matter of getting back there. And I, I must say back in those days I had great support from the South Australian Sports Institute yep. under the director then of a chap called Mike Noonan yep. and under the exercise physiologist of a, of a great man called Neil Craig, who's currently on the, the Carlton head coaching staff. Wow. And so, you know, we, I had to find a place first. So, um, you know, one of the people I had to report to on the Sports Commission board was Lindsay Fox yep. from Fox Transport. And so we found this magnificent place at Henley Beach, you know, which was an old converted hotel. So that became the home for our elite cyclists. And also the other program that I managed was our cricket program. Yep. The, the Commonwealth Bank Cricket Academy Great. was born there. Great. In the late 90s, you moved to Sydney and became the general manager of sport for the Australian Paralympic Committee and then went on to become an organisation CEO during the 2000 Summer Games and 2002 Winter Games in Salt Lake City. How was that time for you in your life? Wow. You know, I, I've got to tell a story, Steve, because um, uh, I, I knew very little about athletes with disabilities. Yep. You know, I did a, a lot of uh, research after, you know, I'd been to Atlanta, you know, with cycling at the Olympics and the, the Paralympic team in Atlanta uh, finished second in the world, but they were treated very poorly, you know, and so... I had knew only two athletes with disabilities, you know, in, in the whole country. Yep. So I decided to meet the athlete, one of the athletes that I didn't know who lived in Adelaide. I won't mention his name, but he's a downhill skier. I met him at the Hilton Hotel for breakfast. I went to shake his right hand. He didn't have one. I went to shake his left hand. He didn't have one. So I just thought, very embarrassed. We sat down. Um... He, we had breakfast. He ordered breakfast. He cut up his bacon and eggs with his feet. He drank his coffee with his feet. He was a two-time Paralympic champion. He was an accountant, a husband, and a father. And I said, wow, if you can do that, I can do this job. Absolutely. It would have changed your perspective on life, wouldn't it? It did. It changed my perspective on life. It changed my perspective on viewing people 
who find it difficult to get up every day without a disability well, to so those champions, well, you know, who do it every day. And I look, it was probably, I love my job now. You know, I've had a very interesting career, but that time of my life was probably the, the best memories I've ever had in sport. You've been to five Olympics and two Paralympics, memorable moments. Yeah, memorable moments. Oh, first one, 1984, uh, walking out at the opening ceremony, you know, and just basically not knowing where I was, you know, not knowing how many people were there. You, you were just in a daze, you know, really just in a daze. And, and obviously going through that process, I had some great relationships with the Americans and with the American women's coach. Her and her husband were, were great mates of mine, and it was a real learning curve. And I think it was a learning curve not just from sport, but I, I, I preach today to a lot of people about the coaching processes that, that make a great manager. You know, and, uh, and I think I've learnt from those days. Uh, memorable times at the Olympics, I was very lucky uh, to work with the head cycling coach who went to six Olympics, uh, uh, a veteran called Charlie Walsh. Now, Charlie's discipline was unbelievable. And so what he taught his athletes, what he taught his staff about time management, you know, about people skills, about discipline, about commitment was second to none that, um, you know, that I still try and aspire to today. Uh, probably worst memory of Olympic Games is um, Shane Kelly, a great pursuiter uh, at the start of the Atlanta, Atlanta Games, pulling his leg out of, the, of his clip on his shoe. And, and not starting, basically, and it was very sad. Uh, Paralympic Games, look, Sydney was just um, an amazing place to be during the Paralympics. Obviously, Olympic Games, but more so for me as the boss of the Paralympics to see so many people support these athletes with disabilities. You know, and uh, it, uh, it really, to wake up, and um, I didn't live in the village in that one. I actually lived in the park. And to wake up at 4.30 every morning and see people queuing up for tickets to see athletes with disabilities was, was just sensational. Yep. And, you know, and, and obviously the crowds that they drew and the people that then recognised that these people weren't people with a disability, that they had more ability than disability. And to see them compete you know, at the elite end was something in awe for, for everybody. Thanks for sharing that. You do a lot of international travel. Must take you away from family and friends. How does that feel to do that? Oh, look, it's um, my international travel now is with family and, and my partner, and um, you know it, it does. It's difficult, you know. And in years gone by, it's cost me, you know, obviously a lot emotionally. You know, it sounds great, you know, to travel internationally, but you know, when you're leaving Sydney on a Thursday and you know going internationally, and you're back in Sydney on a Sunday night, it, it's not a great life. And obviously, you know, the the people that suffer are your partners and your families. And so there's got to be a time, you know, when that's got to give in some way. You know, that's affected a lot of people that I know, you know, uh, but now my next trip will be a holiday, Steve, so I'm really Absolutely. looking forward to it. Well, maybe take this opportunity to, to thank people behind you, uh, you know, in your family and, and, and mention what, how special they are to you. Oh, look, I, I, uh, I have a beautiful partner, Carol, and she, um, she uh, I, I will say, uh, has broken down my wall. You know, she's ma made me now the person that I am. You know, we are being an Irish family, so sh she's just been fantastic. And uh, my family, most of my family are in Adelaide. And so I have an older brother who is suffering with cancer at the moment. So you know, it's pretty special moments to be able to spend time, you know, with him, yeah. you know, uh, to go through, you know, his process and try and assist in his process. 
um, you know, I suppose from a, a you know a coaching point of view at the AOS, had some very very dear you know people to me that uh, that assisted. The, one of the AOS managers was a guy called Peter Bowman, who's still a very dear friend. The current head coach for Athletics Australia, Craig Hilliard, who was with us a couple of weeks ago, yep. you know, viewing your the cage, and uh, you know, yeah. So you meet people, you know, and you know, it's it's interesting how you meet people, and I met. Uh, a couple of people at the AOS, one in particular was a, a tennis coach called John Marks. Now, you know, people might say, well, who's John Marks? Well, John Marks got beaten by Guillermo Villas in the 79 Australian Open, so he could play. Yep. So he is a very dear friend of mine to this day, you know, and uh, it's, it's, there are some true, you know, lifelong relationships that you build in sport. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for saying that. How did you come from moving from Southern Australia and now the top job? at the Sports Supercenter. Give us a, a, a breakdown. I know there's an interesting story of a former employee telling you about the advertised position. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. Oh, look, it's really, you know, um, you know, I, I've been very lucky with some of the staff that I've worked with, you know, and, um, you know, they, they've been very, very good. And so um, when I left the Australian Paralympic Committee, I went into commercial land for a while, but one of the guys now, um, you know, Andrew Stanley, his name is, he works for the Australian Capital Territory Academy of Sport. Yeah. And, uh, and this job, I didn't see this job anywhere. And he rang me, and, and my last name's Flynn, so he said, Flynny, he said, have you seen the job up in Runaway Bay? He said, this is you. So I, I looked at it. Uh, it took a while to get the job. I went through a process of five interviews, but I always wanted to start my career in sport in some way, in my career in a form of sport. And I think this is a, you know, it's interesting and we'll talk about it, but uh, I was lucky enough to get the job. I think that there were quite a few applicants for the job. No doubt. I think at that stage, looking back, they needed to appoint somebody from outside the system yep. to, to help them move forward. And believe it or not, I've been here three years next month. So um, it's still, it's still every day. I love getting out of bed. Great to hear. It was said when you first walked in the door at the Sports Supercenter, you thought, "Wow, I've got a lot of work to do." Why was that? Ah, uh, look, I think you know the the history of the Sports Supercenter. That obviously this was uh, Ron Clark's baby, you know, with uh, an American philanthropist called Chuck Feeney. And so Chuck put all this money in, and obviously it was open just before the 2000 Games. Um, Chuck uh, sold the Supercenter to the government. And, and by the way, Chuck Feeney, I was reminded the other day that Chuck Feeney has put in $385 million to the Queensland economy, yeah. you know, both in education, you know, um, medicine, you know, um, and, and communities. And uh, after the government bought it in 2010, I'll say nicely that they really didn't do anything with it. Okay. So I stepped in in 2013, and, and yes, we, we did have a lot of work to do. It was, it was starting to look like a rundown facility. Well, looking at it now, it's an amazing facility. You're involving members more in the decisions of the centre. Explain what you're doing there. Yeah, look, I think, you know, we've got 2,500 members, wow. you know, which is interesting. You know, um, our oldest member, Steve, is 93. Wow. Who's Who, that? He's trained. I'm not going to give his name out because he'd be too embarrassed. Um, but he comes in every day. Great. You know, and, and I think one of the things for me, that the, the people that live and love the place you actually have got to give them a say. They don't have any management over it. So I have a, a members committee that we meet, and, and the members committee are people ageing from 20 to 65, 70, 
And I think it's good perspective for me. If I want to talk to 2,500 people, I need those 15 members to get out and talk on my behalf. And so I update them on what's going on around the centre. They then go and talk to 10 of their mates, you know, and so just getting general information about whether it's good or bad or where we're moving to, I think that's important to sort of liaise with the bigger family. That's wonderful. The Sports Super Centre was built as a training base for international athletes before the Sydney 2000 Olympics. What, athlete, what athletes have trained here? Oh, Linford Christie was, was here, yeah. definitely. You know, I, I hear Carl Lewis, you know, Kathy Freeman, every... U.S. athlete and a lot of the European athletes were here at that stage. You know, um, obviously we are now with this beautiful big baby that we've got, the new track that we've got out there. Sally Pearson's just returned. She did a really great run a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Uh, you know, at, right at this very moment, you know, we have four Paralympians heading to Rio, you know, who are sprinters, you know, sprint athletes. We have one of the Australian boxers who I saw running around the track this morning. So uh, we've got uh, Adam Gibson is one of our Rio basketballers. So we, we're just starting to infiltrate back into the elite area. And that's one of my passions that I think we have to do. I'm, I'm really, really strong on assisting developing Queensland athletes you know, to reach their full potential, developing national athletes to reach their full potential and developing any athletes with a disability or able-bodied athletes that, are, that live on the Gold Coast yep. to assist them you know, to, to where they want to get to because I know how hard it was for me. That's phenomenal and tremendous. Uh, there's a big part of the Centre which is devoted towards a Centre of Excellence for Students and building grassroots to podium. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not going into the politics of it, but when I arrived here, it, it wasn't great. You know, obviously there was a big divide between education and to the commercial part of our program. Uh, so we've done a lot of work. We have a head of school called Clint Curran. And so we, you know, last year we brought in 9,000 school kids from, you know, state school kids from around Queensland. Right. And we run, you know, leadership courses. You know, we, we talk about things, you know, like becoming a leader. You know, we run school captains programs where we'll bring in, you know, um, guest speakers, you know, like uh, Stuart Robert, the, the federal member, or you know, Moira and Major who works for Hot Tomato to talk about media or somebody in finance. But I also want to encourage to bring in athletes, you know, from the Gold Coast who have started here as a student and so they can show the kids where they are now, what their, what their role was over the last 15 or 20 years even as a student. So well, so we work really hard, you know, in that department. And I've got to say our numbers, you know, basically have doubled in the last two or three years, you know, with, with young, the future of Queensland and the future of Australia coming through our centre. Absolutely. Let's talk about that wonderful new international track out there. Was it about $5 million that cost to get? No, it, got, it, it cost uh, both that and the hockey facility is about $5.5 million. So wow. it was about $2.6 million. Yep. You know, um, the history of it was that the state government had put away about $1.2 million. It was supposed to have been finished in 2012. Yep. So when I got here, obviously, there was a change of government. And so, you know, the process, the final process after putting the tenders out, etc., started last September, October. Yep. And, uh, and we were handed the track back this week, you know, which is fantastic. And so, you know, it's, it's beautiful to see. Yep. You know, it really is. It's, uh, you know, there's a, my staff are just in awe of, you know, what was there and what is there now. Yep. And I'm trying to get through to my staff that this is their second home and that we treat the track like it's our lounge room. Take the listeners through 
what they see out, what you see outside every day. Give them a, a view oh, of the track geez. from your mind. Uh, from my window, basically, you know, I can see the ten lanes of the track. I see this magnificent hammer cage. You know, uh, well, I'm sure you'll talk about that in a minute, Steve. And I see a beautiful grass infield, which is the same grass as the MCG. And so, you know, every morning I get to work about seven, so it's just great to see people out there running, walking. You know, there's a woman out there in a still walking frame who walks every morning. You know, so we are open to our members and to uh, to groups from 5.30 to 7.30 every morning. And then we make it available to um, school students from nine till three or groups that want to book in. You know, we've got, uh, we've got the Samoan Rugby Sevens arriving tomorrow, for instance. And so they'll be here. So, uh, and then it's open again from three in the afternoon till or three thirty till seven at night. I think one of my concerns is it's it's a it's as you said, Steve. It's an internationally accredited track. Correct. Yeah, we're told by, and I've got to give them a plug. Polytan did a great job. Fantastic, an absolute job, great job with it. Yep. We're told by Polytan it's called a Spurton DV track, which is a sandwich track. So it's soft and hard. And obviously elite athletes like Sally Pearson, from a training perspective, say it's the best track to train on. So they're saying we've got a 10 to 12-year lifespan, and we really need to make sure that we, we keep that lifespan. What was your relationship with Polytan and the guys working here? How were they to work with? Wow, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, from day one, you know, we had a, we had a you know, really good project manager in the education department, you know, Rebecca Murphy. You know, uh, and another lady, you know, Monique Howard came in and then there was obviously one of my senior staff and I, Viv Weston. So we meet every fortnight, but Polytan were extremely professional. Their communication was, was excellent. And, and obviously uh, through Polytan, the, the group was Arab who facilitated the whole, you know, place. You know, even the project manager from, you know, from Polytan unfortunately had to leave us two or three weeks before finishing because his wife was having a baby. But we, you know, um, I've got to say we've done a fair bit of work around here in the last three years. They've been the best group to work with. That's sensational. Thanks for yeah. saying that. You've got a media day coming up. You've got some, um, some quite distinguished people on the handover. Who might be attending that day? Well, you know, we're, we're hoping, obviously, that because uh, we are dealing with two ministers, there'll be two Queensland ministers of sport, you know, we have a very close affiliation with uh, the Gold Coast City Council, so we're hoping the Lord Mayor will be here. We, we actually have a special announcement that we're going to make on that day, you know, and I'll say it's obviously for, you know, the family of uh, Ron Clark. You know, his wife, Helen, is a lovely lady and, and uh, Ron's son, Nick, works for us. And so, you know, the, then we'll have, hopefully, if we can get some elite ath athletes, if it's either before Rio or after Rio, and a, a sprinkling of hoping to get the Director General of Education yeah, and my boss, the Regional Director for Education. And so we'll have a lot of people around the place because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. What's your vision for the Super Centre uh, post-games? My vision for the Super Centre is that it becomes a, a one-stop shop for education uh, Queensland-wide, a one-stop shop for developing and elite athletes both from Queensland nationally and internationally. You know, I think now that we've just spent $5.5 million on these magnificent track and the hockey facility, you know, we are going to bring in a lot of the elite athletes to, to train and compete. 
you know that that's my vision um we are have started a, a, a very good professional relationship with uh, and this is hot news with the queensland academy of sport Great. and they'll be moving five of their staff in as from next week and I think that value adds to our organisation, that there'll be, you know, program managers and senior staff. I know all of those staff are very happy because they actually live on the Gold Coast and they don't have to drive to Brisbane every day. Yeah. I see that as a, as a way in to become a centre of excellence. Um, we have, you know, I have very good working relationships with the Australian Institute of Sport. Uh, the current director is uh, obviously I've worked with him before, Matt Favia, and I've had some preliminary discussions with him about this also become a, becoming a regional centre of excellence for the AIS. And I think that value adds to, to the community, that value adds to us as a facility, both nationally and internationally. And, and as we go, you know, the, the equipment that we use, you know, what we have here, you know, uh, and obviously the Commonwealth Games being, you know, really 18 or 19 months away, you know, we've just got to make sure that we're on that train with, with all of those functions. Fantastic. I always ask my guests this, Brennan. If you can go back in time and place a phone call to yourself when you were 20, what would you say to yourself? Place a phone call to myself when I was 20. The young Brendan Flynn. Oh, if I could have done a quarter of what I've achieved in the last <laughs> 43 years as a 20-year-old, I would be pinching myself now because I think that I'm one of the luckiest people in the world to have experienced both from a sporting, you know, at a commercial opportunities, what I've done, you know, obviously both in sport and, and commercialism. Uh, that the people that I think that I've assisted along the way, but more importantly, the people that have assisted me along the way. Because I think, you know, the old saying, there is no I in team, and you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression, are things that I swear by all the time. I would also pinch myself, and I'm lucky to have this, my beautiful partner, Carol, in my, in my life now, because, you know, she you know, clearly has made my life. But I think I would be not believing what I was about to do. Isn't that an amazing story? Where can people find you, Brendan, if they want to have a chat? They can find me at the Runaway Bay Sports and Leadership Excellence Centre. We are a Commonwealth Games training and accommodation provider, you know, which we're so excited about, Steve. You know, we've obviously, you know, um, uh, Goldock, you know, have bought for want of a better word, our new hockey facility for a month of the games, two lanes of our outdoor pool for triathletes, our beautiful hockey for centre, centre for a month before the games. We have two beach volleyball courts that look sparkling at night. And so uh, we're just excited about 2000. But, but we're also excited about the legacy of the games for the community, you know, and for Queenslanders and Australians. Brendan, we thank you so much for your time. We wish you well. And thanks very much. Thanks, Steve.